0: One of the great uh, Australian contributions to Christmas is Paul Kelly's song, How to Make Gravy. Uh, this this tender, touching song filled with with heartfelt specificity is sung in the voice of Joe, uh, who is in prison and calling home to, to ask uh, Dan to pass on messages to his kids and to his loved ones to reflect on what will be happening at Christmas, what he'll be missing, and to wonder that in his absence, who will make the gravy. It's one of my favourite songs, not just of this season. It's a, it's a beautiful song, and but I'm forced to wonder, you know, as great art pushes you to do, how much am I just enjoying this song and how much should this song be transforming how I think about those who are removed from families and friends and support networks in this time because of our prison system? How much did this song push me and call me to consider Hebrews 13.3 And the way I am or am not remembering those who are in prison as though I were in prison with them. How am I remembering those in prison in this time? How am I remembering those who are looking across their Christmas tables at empty chairs for those who cannot join them because they are in prison? And then how should that remembering launch me into action? How should that draw me into solidarity and relationship with those in prison and into the work of advocacy and abolition? This year has drawn many into conversations and into support of abolition, many now more so than ever calling themselves abolitionists. And so the question is, how do they then responsibly and effectively take action? How do we effectively and responsibly shape our understanding of Christian mission, of Christian practice to include relationships, advocacy and abolition, both here in Australia, where we continue to have just irredeemably unjust proportions of Indigenous folks in prison. This continuation of the settler colonial violence to lock away and isolate and remove Indigenous youth and adults, this unchecked violence to black bodies through our prison and policing system? How are we drawn to responsible action in light of that? How do we not only sing this song but walk this walk? Similarly, how do we think of those who are, in, who are held sim- in jail simply because they cannot pay bail? This punishment of those who are poor and, and this isolation and removal of people from their families simply for this you know, technicality. How are we drawn into that action? And this is obviously a big question here in Australia, but also in the US, where my guests uh, join me from today. Welcome to Love, Rinse, Repeat, a podcast recorded on Darking Jungland by me, Liam Miller, he, him, his. My guests today are David Brazel and Sarah Pritchard, and they are the founding co-pastors of Apostles Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church as well as Abolition Apostles, which can be found at abolitionapostles.org, an international jail and prison ministry based in New Orleans, Louisiana. It was a privilege to talk to David and Sarah about their work in Abolition Apostles, their uh, their letter writing ministry, their abolition campaigning, and, and so much more that they are doing. Thank you for joining. Merry Christmas. well uh David and Sarah welcome to Laverrin's repeat so great to be here it's uh exciting to have you both so we're here going to talk about your ministry abolition apostles uh, so for the folks who this is entirely new uh, haven't come across this before maybe just give us the broad strokes of both where you are where we're, where you're recording from mm-hmm. uh, and and what it is that that, that your what is your ministry in a kind of a you know a nutshell. It yeah, <laughs> doesn't have to be that you. big, small, a <laughs> nutshell. Don't feel pressure. <laughs> sure. A Brazil nut.
1: Yeah. Um, so we're in New Orleans, Louisiana, which is uh, the most incarcerated place in the world. It's actually the most incarcerated city per capita in the world, uh, in, the, in the most incarcerated country in the world. Um, and therefore, as somebody once pointed out to me, as far as we know, the most incarcerated place in the universe. Um, <laughs> and Sarah and I were called uh, to this ministry in 2019, um, out of congregational ministry that we were doing in Oakland, California, and the Bay Area of California, um, to focus specifically on jail and prison ministry. Mm-hmm. So, Abolition Apostles now serves approximately 1,000 incarcerated people um, in about 30 states in America with the help of. Um, a network of about six hundred volunteers who are all across the U.S. and actually all across the world. We have volunteers in uh, Canada, in Thailand, in different uh, countries in Europe. Um, so it's actually an international project, um, and it's been fascinating to watch it grow and watch Spirit move um, through through it. Is there anything you want to add about? Sure.
2: Awesome? Uh, right now, the ministry is primarily focused on penpalling, and so. A uh, big part of what we do is connecting incarcerated people who write to us uh, with folks on the outside um, for pen paling friendships and relationships um, that we hope is the gateway and we believe is the gateway towards um greater solidarity. Um, and so we start with pen as a way to build authentic relationship. Um, between people who are incarcerated and those on the outside, and then move from there to inviting folks on the outside into material support and solidarity with our incarcerated um, siblings. And then also doing advocacy, meaning organizing, both in and outside, supporting the work of um, incarcerated organizers, as well as supporting abolitionist organizing that's happening in communities across the country, um, as well as support for people as they're re-entering.
1: Yeah, and we also do visitation Although right now with the pandemic, um, that's pretty challenging or limited to video, but we're preparing for, as the pandemic hopefully, God willing, starts to wind down, you know, an increased uh, schedule of visitation for folks who haven't been able to receive visitors in many cases in a month, you know, in many months.
0: Yeah, that's right. We should um, flag for those listening at home. There's actually a third guest in our podcast today uh, <laughs> communicating uh, in the background. Uh, that's, that's what you're what you're hearing. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. my son, Sam. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, it's funny. I was thinking about how, you know, when I've been in various ministry, one of those questions you get that is just impossible to answer is kind of, so what is a, what does a usual week look like for you? Um, which you know is, I think, just hard to answer. Regardless, but I imagine for you guys, it's probably even, even more, uh, you know, difficult sometimes to really nail down what, what it is going to look like week to week. What might emerge, uh, you know, from, from either from correspondence or you know, in the kind of political, more macro level, um, is there a way that you try to feel like you can taper the role or or, or, or give it some rhythm and structure, or, or is it really just a you got to just show up and see? That's a really great question, thank you, Liam. I, I think
1: you know sustainability is core to what we do. so we try to keep things in measure. We believe that you know boundaries are humility. so we we're only two people and we mm-hmm. work with many volunteers. but you know there, there's limits to what we can do. We have a young son who you can hear. Um, we both we're bivocational, so you know mm-hmm. we're non-denominational Christian pastors. so we're not paid. By anybody, either for our pastoral work or our ministry. Um, so we have other jobs that we do. So all that has to be kept in balance um, in order to make this work possible, which is also part of why we're so dedicated to organizing volunteers and then effectively delegating and in fact doing leadership and spiritual formation um, as part of what we do. Because for us, this is actually it's an organizing project. And we actually believe that the kingdom of God is an organizing project. You know, the dispatch of the 12 in the gospels is an organizing project. Um, the Great Commission is an organizing project. So um, that's part of our vision with this. Um, and uh, you know, the, the really explosive growth of the ministry in 2020 as a result of the pandemic and then uh, of the national uprisings in the US following the murder of George Floyd um, have really brought a lot of people into our work. And so you know, it actually varies week to week because it just is kind of growing so fast that it keeps changing on us. But an average week, um, you know, just because I think that is actually an interesting insight into the ministry, you know, we have on Sundays, you know, we have a church that we pastor, the Apostles Fellowship Church. And then following that church service uh, on Sundays is a um, ministry meeting, um, which is open to people by both of these are on Zoom, our church service and our ministry meeting. And so both of them are national, um, ministry, uh, gatherings. And, uh, so people come to get orientation on that call, um, to how the pen pal, or they just come to hang out and write their letter, um, uh, as we are in community together, which is how we used to do it when we had in-person meetings before the pandemic. Um, and then, uh, you know, so that's kind of Sundays are those meetings. Mondays, we have a work night in new Orleans. Um, where we gather to sort the mail that we receive at our PO box. And we receive hundreds of letters a week um, in that PO box. So we sort those, we scan letters that are for pen pals and forward them by email to pen pals across the country um, and do other tasks as they arise. Um, and then uh, we have a mini Bible study. We, we believe that the scripture is really essential to our ministry. I should say, it's a Christian ministry, but it's not necessary that people be Christians to participate, uh, either on the inside or on the outside. Um, we just like to be very clear about where we're coming from, so people don't have a experience of a bait and switch. Mm-hmm. We're not a, a we are missing, but not proselytizing ministry. Um, if that distinction makes sense, um, and uh, you know, in between all those things, there are phone calls with people, email, um, and kind of administrative things um, that take up. Um, a certain amount of time. Uh, we have 15 state chapters across the country in America and more mm-hmm. are growing uh, into being, uh, you know, probably about 25 altogether between those that have emerged and those that are in the process of emerging. So we're also working to coordinate with those people um, mm-hmm. to really give body to the national ministry. Sarah, is, is there anything you want to share?
2: I think the only other thing that I would add is that in addition to the statewide chapter, which is part of our organizing work. We also are in the process of organizing and helping to form different working groups that are gonna be focused on various issue areas and topics. So for example, we recently convened the first meeting of what we're calling the Radical Lawyers Caucus, um, or cadre rather, um, that, is a group of law students and practicing lawyers that We're bringing together to support this work, and to provide legal um, support of different kinds to our pen pals. Uh, but we're hoping also to have working groups around the arts, um, around doing the monthly print newsletter that we send to all of our incarcerated friends um, all kinds of different issue areas that we foresee as well as, um, working groups around different special populations and how we can support women who are incarcerated, queer people who are incarcerated, um, and other special populations.
1: Yeah. And, uh, I actually just sent an email to all of our international volunteers, seeing if we can surface sort of an international working group, because we do have a number of people who work with us and I think who are concerned about issues in America, whether it's mass incarceration or specifically the death penalty. Um, Obviously there's a lot going on around um, capital punishment and the horrendous things that are going on right now um, that are mobilizing even more people around these issues, not just in the US, but internationally. And even though the things that are happening are horrible, it's very encouraging to see that people are, you know, righteously outraged about it and hopefully taking action.
0: Thank you for that. So here's a question, I, you know, that that might be on some people's minds. Is okay, just, you've, you know, kind of come to this place, you're going to start a church or start a ministry, um, and and so I mentioned to you before we started recording that, like when before I was in the role I'm in now, I was in university chaplaincy, and I remember we often had this conversation of when we were going to be like pitching ourselves, like you know, like um, framing who we are and trying to entice people along. It's like, okay, do you start with look, we're just a we're a Christian group, and we're going to be doing Bible studies, and then through that you start raising questions of, hmm, I wonder if this reading of Mark makes us think about, say, prison abolition, or or something like that, with the idea that maybe that'll entice you know just regular run of the mill for Christian folk to come in and then expand. Or do you go like, hey, we're about <laughs> this topic, and it comes from our faith, but this is what we're really pitching on. And so I wonder how you guys felt going into this, you know, to to really center this um i don't mean this in a flippant way but like kind of a a single issue because it's a tent pole issue right it's it's obviously a much broader issue but like to really center abolition um and and this is who we are and this is what the identity is um and it's a christian ministry and it it does a lot of different things but like did you guys wrestle with that that like okay is it going to like you know alienate too many from the beginning or or have you had that kind of pushback of Hey, you know, the church is about the gospel. And yes, that might lead us into X, Y, Z, but this should be the centering thing. I just wondered how you've kind of, you know, moved into that and have addressed any of the kind of maybe critiques that I can imagine you might've faced.
1: Yeah, I really like your questions and that's a great one. Thank you. I mean, in some ways, a true thing to say that also is a little bit of an out is that, you know, we received this ministry as a, as a vision from God and as a as a commandment to focus on this ministry in specific so therefore it wasn't as much an act of will assassination nation. Um, these deliberations weren't weren't part of the picture in the same way that they normally would be um, and so we didn't have you know the the occasion to kind of hem and haw about it but i would also say that like uh, it grow this work was out of many years of Secular community organizing and 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 church organizing that kind of grows out of that secular community organizing, and uh, you know, so we lived in California in the Bay Area for many years. Uh, very involved with Occupy Oakland and, and post-Occupy activism, and saw in the course of years of that that um, secular organizing um, frequently led to conflict, to burnout, um, to fracture, um, and that basically there were spiritual foundations lacking for this work. And really that's what led us into doing our church work uh, and the church that we had in Oakland, the Agape Fellowship, or um, as some people say, but we always say agape. We had that church for five years and that was very much a social justice oriented church meant to give uh, a spiritual foundation for the movements of our time, Occupy, Black Lives Matter um, and similar movements. Um, And so we were always serving artists, activists and queer folks. And that church was an experiment in a kind of, um, we called it a Christian interfaith church because we are Christian pastors but um, some of our mentors had guided us into a more open framework. Um, And so we were kind of experimenting with what does it mean to serve people who are seeking spirit, whether or not, you know, that's known by the name of Christ. And our experience at the end of that work, church work, Made it very clear that we were not in the in our integrity if we were not giving witness to the saving power of the name of Jesus. Um, and I say that fully conscious of like how conservative that probably sounds, um, and you know all of the challenges that that can represent for people. But that's our David and Sarah's witness. So it's our honesty and integrity to stand in that. And so the work that we do now, like. You know, like as Paul says, we're not ashamed of the gospel. So we're always really clear about where we're coming from as Christians. But it's also invitational to say, if you want to support people who are incarcerated, that you, that's enough for you to come join this work. And if you are incarcerated, there are no strings attached to receiving support for this ministry. And we're Christian. So if that really doesn't work for you, we can recommend other things that you can mm. connect with. But this probably is not the right party for you. You know, and so our hope is that and again, we trust God and he will give the increase that the balance we're trying to strike of a of a of a, of a secular religious interface in this ministry is is one that is witnessing to people on the inside and outside, but not uh, bluntly proselytizing, but also shows like there are Christians for whom abolition, anti-capitalism, anti-white supremacy are normative and in fact are the gospel. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's also part of why like a lot of our church work is theology, liberation, Bible study, um, you know, just kind of help people to, to stand radical gospel and to out of like the, the academic where it's been hidden in, in fancy commentaries and into like, you know, just um, the practical life of, Activists, but also just young people. You know, so many of the people that are working with us now are um, have been politicized by this year. This is mm-hmm. the first moment. You know, there are people in the earlier part of their twenties who this like uh, we work with undergrad, you know, college undergraduates, yeah, Quite um, young people, um, many of whom are Christian. And so I think like we are helping, God willing, to kind of kind of connect the dots spiritually between what they know and feel incoately about the gospel, but haven't necessarily seen in their church upbringing with the political things that have been happening this year. Seriously, there anything you want to add?
2: I guess I would just say, which is all a way of saying to your question, Liam, it's a both and <laughs> for us that we um, believe and have seen that in fact, by witnessing to the truth about our foundation in um, the gospel and in our, Christian faith has helped people who maybe you know they grew up in the church but then left and mm. thought that they would come back, um, yeah. but through encountering people who are actually engaged in the world um, in these issues, um, mm. as of well, their faith has made them reconsider um, and come back to. Yep. Christianity, um, but then also, you know, we work with people in our church context for whom action is not their main concern, or uh, who are maybe not there yet in terms of like willingness to engage mm. um, actively with the ministry. And so, with, with with those people, you know, we're doing the work of, um, as David said, really building the scriptural literacy and foundation in what is God calling you to do um, in the world, um, whether it ends up being the ministry that we're doing or not.
1: Yep. Yeah, and I guess I would add also to your question about abolition as kind of the central issue, the tentpole issue, um, the abolitionist writer Ruth Gil- Wilson Gilmore uh, has a phrase where she says that prisons are in the middle of the muddle. <laughs> Right. So the middle of the muddle. So everything that is like kind of wrong with American culture, uh, prisons are right in the middle of it. And uh, I think that in that for that reason, it's 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 the issue of our time. But it's also, you know, an issue that Sarah and I have arrived through years of like anti-capitalist working community (laughs) and practice, anti-white supremacy work and then abolition work, each as a kind of the sublation of the previous because if you do anti-capitalist work in an American racialized American context, you have to be led to anti you know work about anti-blackness and anti-white supremacy. Because black people specifically are the most harmed by American capitalism. And if you're struggling with anti-blackness, um, you have to recognize pretty quickly the way that um, mass incarceration affects and criminalization affect the black community. And um, you know so in that way abolition. Provides you know a framework for us to talk about capitalism, for us to talk about white supremacy, um, and 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 really to recognize that we can't analyze um, these issues if we don't bring in those frameworks. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Very yeah, much.
2: Yeah. Say additionally that uh, in terms of your question about pushback, hmm. um, really it's been interesting. I think because of the way that the word and term ab- and discourse around abolition has been somewhat mainstreamed this year yep. um, by the events of this summer. Yep. Um, we haven't actually gotten a lot of pushback around abolition specifically, it's been when we are talking about being anti-capitalist um, that people are like, well, I was with you when you <laughs> were talking about abolishing <laughs> prisons, but can you tell me more about being anti- an anti-capitalist? Um, so it really is also an opportunity for us to like invite people into conversation about how this is all intersectional, how it's all related, um, and also why we believe that um, in order to be Christians, in order to live out our faith, um, we also have to fight for the liberation of all people and the end of these deathly systems.
0: Yeah. Something that I'm thinking about is so you, you mentioned before that there's, there's the two kind of, some ways, the two groups. There's the groups who are, like, we're passionate about abolition and so what you're kind of doing in some ways is joining the dots to there's a way that this doesn't have to be like a separate political project for you. It could actually be a response to your lived faith or an outworking of your your experience of the living Christ. Um, and there's the other group who are... Um, we're Christians um, and we're not so sure about the, that this political project is, is necessarily, you know, something that we want to work work to, you know, there's those two groups somewhat Um, like that, that second group being the one kind of more in in that church on a Sunday morning. Um, And I guess for a lot of folks, who are probably going to be listening to this. That's probably, you know, if you're in a more congregational role or or you're just in a a church as a member, that's probably more of the group that you're going to, be engaging with a lot. And so I guess I'm curious about any insights you've had with, with working with some of those folks on, um, on, you know, on how you work with folks who, you know, to, to make those connections, right. And, and whether it's to abolition or whether it's, as you say, to a different projects, um, because I'm sure lots of, you know, pastors or, or just Christians who want to like, you know, help someone see that why this topic matters and, 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 and should matter because of, you know, our faith in Jesus. Um, you know, that can be a frustrating experience sometimes to try to feel like you're trying to pull people into that. And sometimes we do it very poorly because because we let that frustration be the driver, um, or sometimes we do it poorly because we just, you know, give up. So I guess, you know, insights that you've had in trying to help folks, you know, see that their faith can, should, might lead to various kind of, you know, political justice projects. Absolutely.
1: Well, you know, Sarah and I both have, although we are non-denominational pastors, we both have a lot of formation in denominational churches. Uh, uh, Sarah came up in the Methodist Church, and I am an adult convert who was baptized in historically African-American Methodist Church in Oakland. Um, So, you know, we're shaped by a a Wesleyan tradition. Um, We attend a Baptist church here in New Orleans because that's the church, you know, where God called us as congregants in addition to our own. Church work. So even though, you know, in many ways, our take on the gospel, I think, is experienced as radical by a lot of folks, we don't sort of have a, an idea that it's us over here and, you know, these other folks over here who are liberals or not or conservative. You know, it's, it's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Right. And that's the kind of the mystery of, of the body of Christ in the world. So we, we view it as, as essential to work across the spectrum of um, a political and theological understanding. And for us, this just is about um, uh, a basis in the scripture, right, and like part of like why we do political education um, with our people, including theological, political education, um, to show them, like, these are the scriptures that are relevant. This is um, the history of interpretation of scriptures that shows um, why we put the emphases that we do. You know, the, uh, the black liberation theologian James Cone says that the single central message of the Bible is liberation. That's his claim. You know, got in a lot of trouble with white theologians in the 70s and 70s um, for making that claim. But we believe that Cohn is correct in that claim. And so when you believe that the Bible has a central message, um, and we would say love and liberation, and that love is liberation, and liberation is love, that um, you can defend it scripturally, right? And you can look to the scriptures and say, I'm not, this isn't just proof texting. This is saying, after sifting, digesting, studying, praying with the Bible, um, this is what we feel about you know isaiah saying that we have to break every yoke um and jesus saying that insofar as you did it for the prisoner in prison you did it for me and portrayalize insofar as you did not do it for the prisoner you did not do it for me and this is the way for the goats you know um mm-hmm. and and hebrews 13 and 3 saying you know um remember those in prison as if we were there with them yeah. us like but we hope it, we will be able to um meet with other Christians of different denominations, different understandings on the basis of scripture and also on the basis of church traditions and, and great teachers, mentors, people who have liberators, um, you know, from the different denominations and from non-denominational traditions that, that give us these resources because ultimately it's, it, the real scriptural basis is love your neighbor as yourself. Mm. Right. Um, that's, you know, that's the core. Um, and, and, If we are doing that and we consider who is the neighbor, like as in the parable, the neighbor is who is in a bad way because of um, the way that, because that have happened. And we know that people are in a bad way. We we look to help them. And nobody, you know, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, right? Mm. We preach. We love to talk about Romans 8 when it's about us. But how about when it's somebody in a prison cell? How about when it's somebody in death row? Are we ready to say, you know, nothing can separate us from the love of God if it's our job to be the emissaries of God's love. Um, so those are some of my thoughts, Sarah, do you want to share anything about that?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think, um, what David said is exactly right. Um, and I think, yeah, really just focusing on the common that we have, um, in the scripture and, um, and understanding that if folks are coming open-heartedly in, in good faith um, and trying to have a conversation about, this is what I believe about what the scripture says and what the scripture that is our shared foundation uh, means, uh, then I think we've seen that be a generative approach.
1: And something that Sarah and I feel is necessary to talk about in all of our work, and I think it's connected with the, your question, Liam, is what we characterize as the imperial heresy. And that is to say um, the, 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 the comfort that all too many churches have with the, the deathly mechanisms of the state. Right. Um, And, you know, this the sort of so-called Constantinian Church. Right. And um, so that has and that's been, you know, there's a story you can tell about it that begins with the conversion of the Roman Empire and um, the accommodation of Christianity to warfare and um, balance of the state and would include police and prisons in that. And unfortunately, you know, that's been underway for you know, almost two millennia. And as a result, the way we read the Bible, the way we do church um, is, is altogether too accommodated to, um, to state violence. And it doesn't make any sense for those of us who follow um, a savior who was the victim of state violence to continue to accommodate state violence. It doesn't, doesn't make any sense. And yet, you know, here we are, um, you know, frequently watching Christian leaders, cheerlead you know yeah executions of of uh people on death row and you know all kinds of all kinds of murderous actions
0: yes i appreciate that what I was thinking about preparing for the interview and thinking about your work and, and, and what you're doing, a, a, a passage right at the beginning of um, Terry Eagleton's "When Marx Was Why Marx is, Was Right came to mind. So I'm going to read this and then I want to see if it resonates with, with what you think of your ministry. <laughs> you got our number, buddy. <laughs> uh, that Marxism is finished would be music to the ears of Marxists everywhere. They could pack in their marching and picketing, return to the bosom of their grieving families, and enjoy an evening at home instead of yet another tedious committee meeting. Marxists want nothing more than to stop being Marxists. Uh, In this respect, being a Marxist is nothing like being a Buddhist or a billionaire. It is more like being a medic. Uh, Medics are perverse, self-thwarting creatures who do themselves out of a job by curing patients who then no longer need them. The task of political radicals similarly is to get to the point where they would no longer be necessary because their goals would have been accomplished. Uh, So I guess the idea is, are you guys trying to kind of, you know, put yourself out of a call, essentially, before things go well?
2: I think the answer is yes. Um, And we like to just talk a lot about uh, and think a lot about the way that, especially um, in the U.S. context, um, there's a lot of discourse about abolition. And especially this year with the way that abolition has really trended and become more of a mainstream topic of conversation. um, There's a lot of um, books that people know to read, articles, tweeting about hashtag abolition, um, but not a lot of abolitionist praxis Mm -hmm. um, or understanding or agreement about what that actually is. Um, And so especially for people who are new to um, calling themselves abolitionists, uh, which is a lot of people right now, um, we think it's really important to provide opportunities and concrete examples about, okay, you're calling yourself an abolitionist now. Great. Welcome. Here are things that you can do Mm -hmm. beyond just... Reading the books and tweeting about it. Um, and so, you know, part of what we are really trying to t- trying to do through the pen palling um, is building relationships with people in order to really understand their material conditions um, and what is going on for them as individuals, um, so that we can also collectivize the labor around. Mm caring for people and providing material support and solidarity in ways that are actually going to help get them out of prison sooner Um, so for example i have a long-term pen pal named zach who is incarcerated in california and a couple years ago he literally needed 16 dollars to rent a textbook so that he could take the final course in his associate's degree that he needed in order to get six months taken off of his sentence. Oh,
1: wow. And
2: it was $16 that he didn't have. He didn't have any way of accessing the $16 that was standing in the way of him and six months taken off of his sentence, yep. right? And there's so many examples right. of these things um, that stand in people's way that actually, if have support around, um, will actually get them out of prison after. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That's what we want, right? Um, and so a huge part of why we, why we believe in the pen pal relationship um, is that we know that it can not only be transformative for people on the outside who mm. may not have experience with um, the prison industrial complex, but also because we know that so many people who are corresponding with on the inside actually don't have friends or family who they're in touch with. Um, and so pen becomes a vital lifeline for them to actually get the support that they need. And if we're able to organize the network on the outside to make sure that our pen pals on the outside are supported and connected to one another and to us, that means that they're not alone in trying to figure out, okay, my pen pal really needs this thing. It costs money that I may, not, may or may not have, or if there's a question that I don't know the answer to, but it could really help them out. That's why you know we really emphasize the importance of the state chapters and just connection to the national network of folks on the outside so that individual pen pals are not on their own, but that they're supported and we're collectivizing what is necessary in order to be in solidarity with people on on the inside and help to get them out sooner.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would just add, you know, thank you, Sarah, for all of that insight that, you know, as you have perceived, Liam, we are Marxists. And so we are, you know, committed to praxis, which is core um, to Marxist uh, tradition, but also to Christian life. Right. Um, I gave a talk once called (coughs) What is Christian Communism? right, you know, for, for a largely non-religious group of people where I was the weird oddball Christian, you know, so I was like making, um, sort of, uh, analogies between what I think of as the core ethics of, of each tradition. And one of them is that, um, as James says, faith without works is dead, right? And that we want, we need to be doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word. Mm-hmm. So in both cases, both Christianity and Marxism have it in common that if you are only listening to it or parroting it, you're not doing it right. You have to be in praxis um, if you are committed to the tradition. And I think that you know both Marxists and Christians often lose points for talking the talk but not walking the walk. Um, and so as, as Marxist Christians, we're, we're doubly obliged um, <laughs> to ensure that, you know, our game is up to snuff and also that we're you know, as pastors that we create creating frameworks for um, mm. other people to engage and um, to enter into the maturity that, that uh, allows us to, to be of service to other people and not to be paralyzed um, in a phase of, of milk drinking Christianity, basically. Um, and yeah. yeah, I guess the other, the other thing that it occurs to me to say is, um, that the baby probably just distracted me.
0: Um, <laughs> probably. Well, um, if, if it comes to you jumping um, <laughs> that I guess in a second, I want to, cause I think that's so important. I think cause both there's, you know, sometimes there's people who don't get involved because, it's it's you know they're happy with just as you say just, just just claiming a title or just that. And other times it's hard to get involved. You don't know where to start, right? Um, which is why exactly the kind of work you're doing is so helpful because people can go from that. Oh, I've been convicted, um, or this this thing is happening all around me, and I show up at a march. And I can do that, but I don't know what to actually do next. Um, right. You know, and 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 so that's really great. And I want to get to it at the end make sure people know how they can connect with what you're doing Thank and you get involved. So, but I guess
1: yeah.
0: maybe as, oh, as a kind I say, of, I think
1: I may have remembered what I was going to say to to what you were sharing was we often say, everybody talks about abolition, but nobody does anything about it. Right. And so our little joke. And so, you know, our idea is giving people something to do beginning with the simplest thing, pen palette. Right. And a lot of people have spoken to us about the reason they were drawn to our work is exactly because it gives them something to do Mm. and they don't necessarily have the language or on praxis and the role of praxis in Mm. You know, actualizing oneself and struggle or whatever, but like they know that they can't just keep reading. You know, and I've heard mm. people say that. But I guess what I it occurred to me to mention to you was this question of putting ourselves out of a job. And I have a friend death, death penalty work who is in her late sixties, and she said once, um, "Abolition is my retirement plan," um, which I think is a really beautiful phrase. But as Christians, I, I think we believe that ultimately um, the structure of the world we live in and the sinfulness of the world we live in means that um, our work is never actually going to be done because we, you know, we approach abolition and the end of capitalism and white supremacy as our commitment. But we know that in this world, um, the, the power of sin um, and the power of the devil are such that um, the kingdom... Will not be made here, but will break. You know, that's a you know we've often discussed among ourselves and, and with our congregation. Where are we to look for the kingdom? Right? Are we to look for it in heaven? Are we to look for it on earth? Or are we to look for it as an in breaking? And depending on your understanding, the your idea about that will condition everything you do. Um, and I think Sarah and I both worked for a long time under the idea. Um, This kind of radical reformation type idea, millennial, millenarian idea of building the kingdom on earth. Um, But we've seen up close and personal time and again, the way that sin vitiates um, these things. Um, And as Kant said, out of the crooked timber of humanity, nothing can be made straight, you know. And so that doesn't take us away from doing liberatory and utopian work, but it um, sovers and humbles us. Um, So that's, I think, another um, thing to say about being medics is that, you know, yes, we are medics, but unfortunately, the war isn't going to end anytime soon. Mm.
0: And I guess also, I I wonder if you feel like, you know, not only is sobering and and humbling, but also like, you know, is in a way sustaining in the sense that that setbacks and failures um, feel different or... Or a success that you can only sort of point to if you look at through a magnifying glass, um, also can feel grander because it's you know going to be brought up and swept up in in God's great rectification. So like I, I, yeah, in, in that way that shift can also do that. I am I, I imagine too, which is you know contrast to what you said you observed in so much of that secular organizing and when it's only about when, when it's all riding on that this one you know the, the now the temporal fight. Um, that that can be draining along the way too. Absolutely. Well, we talk a lot about sort of Pauline works
1: righteousness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea that we're saved by you know faith, not works, and that grace is the operating question. And uh, there's so much in Paul. You no matter no matter how many libraries have been written about his work that remains unexamined and undiscovered, not completely. And 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 anti capitalist, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, you know that we could talk about more. But one of those things is that like. Ultimately, we are not saved and nobody can save any work. The work is ultimately witnessed. uh, We do it like uh, hoping for um, people's experience of grace and of course their experience of worldly benefit, consolation, but those things are in their right place. right? They're not the ultimate end. And this is the difference between doing religious and secular work and why I think that ultimately for us, religious and Christian work is the only way that we can go. Because secular work imagines if we just work hard enough, if we just had enough people working on this, um, then we would solve the problem and everything would be okay. And we know that's not true. And we name sin as um, the reason that it's not true. Mm -hmm. Um, That's scripturally based and born out in our experience and the experience of the church through time. So you know, I think as you say, it is in a funny way encouraging we're doing things for the right reason. If we were still doing things for the wrong reason, just think: we go hard enough, then prisons will be abolished and that'll be that. Like, that's not actually how it's going to happen. But that doesn't keep us from doing the right thing for people um, as we're able. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally.
0: So as we we'll start landing the plane, um, I guess, like, there's no doubt this year has been... You know, this year has been hard, and, and you know, for for, for, every, for everyone. But um, as been as been pointed out, it's been been particularly devastating for prison populations. Um, you know, with with the way COVID is, you know, unstoppably, you know, no way to really stop the spread in these places, and and early calls to release extra people were not heeded, and you know, in a lot of places and the like. Um, but at the same time, as you've also said this year, you know, in that response to the murder of George, George Floyd, you know, these huge mass movements across the states and across the world that have, that have led to a lot of people adopting abolitionist language that have led to people, you know, selling out, um, you know, books selling out of, of these kind of texts and the like. So, so a lot of people engaging with it. So both kind of narratives running at the same time, I guess not wanting to kind of, you know, in any way cheapen, the, the the tragedy and the death and the and the and, and, and the loss of this year um I guess what have been some of the the those like signs of hope that you've been clinging to through this year either it can be at that macro level or it can be like individual experience you've had with with pen or with other little victories you know or, or what what it is what are those kind of I guess those little um yeah signs of hope and and that, that, that have kind of struck you or or that you're going to like kind of reflect on as we, you know, getting into a new year and you take stock. What, you know, do you have anything that comes to mind in, in that regard?
2: Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that's so gratifying about doing this work is that we get little signs of hope, as you say, all the time because we're getting to read letters from incarcerated people who tell us all the time, like, your work is so important. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I haven't been in touch with anyone on the outside for years and sometimes decades. Mm -hmm. Like this is really meaningful to me. Um, And so all of that is really um, just gratifying and hopeful for us um, in terms of the, um, comfort and solidarity that we're able to offer, um, to incarcerated people. Um, but then in terms of like other, um, signs of hope, I think just the way that this ministry has grown over the last year is also hugely encouraging to us. We started, as David said, this ministry in May of 2019 with five people around our kitchen table writing to 12 incarcerated people. And we sit here today with hundreds of volunteers on the outside, writing to over a thousand people on the inside. Um, So just the huge um, growth and really the way that God has provided the increase for us um, is really hopeful and encouraging in terms of the work that we are going to be able to do. Um, with God's help, I think moving forward, we're really um, just hopeful that there's a lot of potential to do more organizing, um, in and then through this work, now that we have such a large mm. network, um, and I guess the other thing too is like as a result of the um, large network of people that we're building on the outside, we've then be, been able to take on. Some larger like special projects so yep. like for example we uh, recently were able to send over 2,000 incarcerated people packets of information about them getting access to the federal stimulus mm. check um, that a judge ruled incarcerated people are actually eligible to receive um, and so we worked Across the street to print and mail those packets to incarcerated people, and we've already started hearing like, "Thank you so much! I was able to file, and I'm—I got my check. Twelve hundred dollars for someone who's incarcerated is a lot of money. Yep. Um, so things like that have also been really encouraging to me. What about you, David?
1: I mean, I feel it's very clear and has been for some time that things have to change fundamentally. And this year is um, clear evidence of that. Um, I think, you know, the the murder of George Floyd set off uh, was the spark, um, but it had everything to do with ongoing police murder and white supremacist violence in America, police and vigilante violence but also the climate of white supremacist violence enabled by, you know, the current administration, right? And and er, righteous indignation from a lot of people um, upset about the many crimes of that administration and upset about the total inability and unwillingness of the rest of the government to do anything about it. Um, So I think like a lot of that came to a head this year. And for many of us live in the U.S., like we're waiting for it since 2016 you know, um, and that's coming, but they you know, it's just of, I think a real movement. And I think that we are privileged because of our work in ministry to see that that is happening. People that's a change has happened. That yeah. people are, I mean, I think even what Sarah said about, you know, when we um, began the ministry, even abolition and calling yourself a prison abolitionist remained ultimately a fairly fringe thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you describe yourself that way outside of certain leftist circles, people would be like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, and that was last year, yeah, um, wow. so just, mm-hmm. just in one year's time. You know, uh, I, I always say that the bellwether is the, 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 uh, uh, Kaba essay, uh, call, you know, in the New York times that uh, yes, we actually literally abolished the police, mm. you know, and, like that was in the New York times. Yeah. It's incomprehensible. <laughs> um, uh, last year that, that would have been published in the New York times, you know? Mm. So, um, for me, the real encouragement is that sense that there's a new spirit is something is not about a change of the president. Um, you know, that's not It's a different yeah. thing, um, than what people are able to attend to what they're able to see. Um, but I think we see it and, and are encouraged by it. Mm. And we also, uh, you know, uh, as part of the pandemic, Sarah and I helped start a mutual aid society here in New Orleans, which is one of the earliest places hard hit by the pandemic. And so we were able to, you know, provide tens of thousands of meals to uh, incarcerated people with a network of volunteers, not to incarcerate people, excuse me, to people in need of food. Um, and, uh, you know just seeing the way that many, many hundreds of volunteers were engaged in that project, um, meeting need at their own expense, at some danger to themselves, Mm. um, speaks to me also of like a sense that on the one hand, things are irremediably broken in this society um, because of capitalism, because of white supremacy. And on the other hand, people are refusing to accept accept that um, in a way that's new I think uh, I'm 42, so it feels new to me um, in my political life and consciousness. That many, many people are like, it's all broken, and we're not waiting for anybody to come fix
0: it anymore. Um, so that's really encouraging to me. Sam. Yeah, so I guess um, you know a bunch of people might have tuned into this because they're already engaged and involved and just wanted to, you know, hear the conversation. Uh, some might have been because they're kind of vaguely interested in this abolition thing and now they want to go further. Um, how do they go further with you guys? How, how how do people make connections? What's the easiest way to weigh in uh, if, if people want to, I guess, you know, maybe bit more and more so for the folks maybe watching from the States, but I know, you, as you said before, you've got international chapters as well. So just, yeah, let us know how people can can get in touch and get involved with, with, with your work. Absolutely, thank you. And we welcome international participation. So please, wherever
1: you are in the world, get in touch with us. Um, you know, the easiest way if you have email access is to write us at abolitionapostles.gmail. Um, Sarah and I are committed to uh, being accessible and available. Um, so you will hear back from us directly. Um, you can check out our website, which is abolitionapostles.org, which has mm-hmm. a mission statement, more information about the ministry, um other materials like that. Um, we're also active on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, um, if you want to connect that way. And so that's a, all those are great ways to make first contact. And then from there we can orient you to um uh, pen through our weekly orientation um, and share other resources, our Bible studies um, and uh, political education um, sessions and so forth um, are all available. So, uh, we would welcome, um, all participation. This is, uh, entirely volunteer run and donation based ministry. Um, so, you know, we also accept, uh, donations, um, via Venmo, which all goes to people's commissary. Um, and so we, you know, contribute money or um are able to contribute labor uh or just prayer uh we would appreciate prayer um because we know that that you know is the foundation for for all that we're doing is there anything you would add
0: sarah
2: no i think that's great
0: excellent thank you well yeah um the website and that will be in the show notes and people can check that out and, and, and shit on an email and uh yes yeah, it's just been wonderful to, to hear about what you're doing and uh, and the impact it's having um, and, and I just pray and hope that it will it will continue to expand as, as greater resources and greater um, change in people's outlook and expectations, uh, you know, continues to grow. So thank you for joining us on Love, Rinse, Repeat, and hopefully we'll chat again soon sometime. Thank you so much thank for having so us, Thank you so much, Liam. Yeah.